Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight on Dr. Anonymous Show 155, our guest coming up will be Dr. Lucy Hornstein, author of the book, Declarations of a Dinosaur, Ten Laws I've Learned as a Family Doctor, and to be honest, I'll probably be calling her Dr. Dino for most of the interview because that's how I know her from her blog, Musings of a Dinosaur, at dinosaurmusings.blogspot.com. We'll be talking about her book, her blog, and some of the intricacies uh, and joys of being a former anonymous blogger, something that definitely interests me. All that and a lot more coming up right now on the Dr. Anonymous Show. the best that medicine and social media have to offer. This is the Dr. Anonymous Show live on the Thursday night right here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm, of course, your favorite physician host. My name is Mike, but my friends, like all of you out there in Internet land, you call me Dr. A, and you can always find me at dranonymous.com. That brings you the most current show schedule. Also, some of my blog posts and some also some I've done with local TV news here. You can check those out there. You can also go to DrAnonymous.net. Shout out to all 185 Facebook fans of the show. Very much appreciate that. You can also, that can also get you some behind-the-scenes video you won't see anywhere else. You can also go to DrAnonymous.org. That brings you right to the iTunes page where you can subscribe to this show and also leave a comment. I'd appreciate that as well. You can also listen in real time to this show on your iPhone or BlackBerry. I know you're out there. Today is Thursday, March 18, 2010. It is 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and the temperature at broadcast time here at Dr. Anonymous World Headquarters was still about 59 degrees. Been a great few days here in northeastern Ohio. Our guest coming up will be Dr. Lucy Hornstein, family doctor, cool, author and blogger, 
And in my background research, I heard an interview with our guest done by last week's guest, Greg Fries, and uh, very happy to be speaking with her in a few moments. Her book is called Declarations of a Dinosaur, Ten Laws I've Heard. I've, I'm sorry, 10 Laws I Have Learned as a Family Doctor, available on sites like Amazon.com. How I know her is a, a founder and author of the blog Musings of a Dinosaur. You can go there by uh, going to dinosaurmusings.blogspot.com. And uh, so uh, she'll be coming up a little bit. And very, very, very excited. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun tonight. Uh, but first, I do want to thank Blog Talk Radio for featuring your show again this evening on their front page. And to welcome those of you who are new to the show, uh, uh, listening live or on the archives. I've been a social media hobbyist since 2005. And if you're curious, yes, I am also a proud family physician in full-time private practice, meaning I see patients five days a week in the hospital and in my office here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. And if you're listening live, you can see my face on the webcam here this evening. You just uh, go to the top of the chat room and uh, click on the webcam icon. And for those of you who are having trouble getting into the cheap patient, um, I know there's been some difficulties here on Block Talk Radio recently of uh, people getting into the chat room here, but be patient. I know you're out there, and uh, be in here as soon as you can, I know. Now, before we go to the break, I did want to mention today that it is match day for uh, medical students who will be starting their residencies this summer. And if you follow my Twitter around noon, you saw that uh, I was watching some live streaming of med schools across the country here today, and family medicine had an increase in the number of students versus last year, so maybe things will be turning around there a little bit. Uh, and if I have the courage and the patience, <laughs> I may even write a blog post about my thoughts on today's match day. Uh, anyway, so yes, before I go to the break, I want to uh, give a, a big shout-out to the people in the chat. Ruby Lonnie, who is uh, checking in from uh, over there in Great Britain here, early Friday morning, where I believe it is uh, just past 2 a.m., I believe. So thank you for joining in. Uh, a truly an international show here. We also have J-Man. We also have a couple of guests. And uh, if the guests would like to participate in the chat room making fun of me, I just you just have to register here at the Blog Talk Radio site, and that will get you started. Excuse me. So I think I have everything out of the way here. So uh, our guest, after the short break here, you're listening to the Dr. Anonymous show, a proud member of the Better Health Network. You can get there by going to getbetterhealth.com. And also a proud member of the ProMed Network, a podcast. You can get there by going to promednetwork.com, and we'll be right back.
Yes, that's right. We're lowering your blood pressure one point at a time, Dr. Nottomich Show, live on Blog Talk Radio. And on the line we have with us right now, Dr. Lucy Hornstein, family doctor. Hey, uh, welcome to the show there, Lucy. Thank you so much, Dr. A. It's great to be here. I feel like I'm finally one of the cool kids. <laughs> well, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. So, but before I start with my first question here, uh, uh, today was Match Day. You have you have any uh, have any memories and thoughts on uh, on Match Day when uh, when you found out where you were going for residency? Well, I got my I matched to the first choice place that I want wanted, uh, which was same town Philadelphia suburbs where I was in I was in medical school in Philadelphia, but what was actually at least as important and and just as uncertain and just as gratifying is uh, because of the results of the match, I was also approved for a mortgage for my first house, for buying the house wow. that I still live in. So I got both the hospital I wanted and I got the mortgage. And wow. what really what startles the heck out of me, too, is that I just got stuff in the mail uh, this, actually in about six weeks, uh, will be uh, my 25th med school reunion. Wow. Damn. So, <laughs> now, aside from the fact that my medical school doesn't actually exist anymore, it merged and morphed, and now it's uh, the university that has essentially taken over the, the facilities and the, the name and the alumni roster. Uh, so... I'm I'm not actually technically a Drexel alum, but Drexel likes to think that I am. So it's still it's 25 years since uh, since I've been back down to Philly. To this, they actually built a beautiful building for the med school as opposed to the old uh, actually nurses' residence that had been converted into lecture halls and stuff that that I actually went to. So I think I'll pop down there uh, since I'm still local in about a month and see what everyone is up to. But 25 years makes me just, it just makes me feel old. <laughs> uh, so, so what was, uh, what was your, what was your med school called then? What was your school called? It was, well, at the time it was called Medical College of Pennsylvania. However, it had gone through several name changes. It was originally founded in 1850 as the Female Medical College of Pennsylvania, and then it became uh, better known as Women's Medical. And in 1972, it began admitting men. And in 1974, it changed its name from Women's Medical to Medical College of Pennsylvania. It was still, put it this way, so this was the early 1980s. If you had a really old person in the hospital and you asked them where they were, you know, what's your name? Do you know, do you know your name? Do you know where you are? Do you know the date? When you said, do you know where you are? If they said Women's Medical, it counted. <laughs> so that, that counted as uh, oh as yeah, oriented. That's, uh, that's right. yeah that that meant that, meant, that right. part meant they knew where they were. <laughs> you're, you're not you're not confused at all. <laughs> right. Uh, well, as I as I start with uh, as I ask well, all my guests a uh, very very hard softball question uh, to start out with. Uh, uh, so family family medicine family family physician family doctor so uh, uh, totally so what, what kind to you, of I know. <laughs> what, uh, what 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 drew you towards uh, family medicine as a specialty? You know something? The God's honest truth is at this point I don't even remember because I decided I wanted to be a doctor when I was in third grade, and wow. I actually I actually have documentation of that too. I've, I've got a, a report card from third grade 
where the third grade teacher says, I hope her dream to study medicine comes true. And hmm. and so by, I mean, I, I, I read all different kinds of, you know, various things. And I kind of, I liked everything and didn't want to be limited to one thing, which, of course, as you know, is the hallmark of family practice. So I think I can honestly say that certainly by the time I was in high school, I may not have, I may not have known, you know, the, the terminology, but the, the, the basic outlines of what I wanted to do were already pretty clear. And it's kind of funny. I've, I've heard since then that my mother, my parents were great. You know, they never said, oh, you'll change your mind. But they also were, but they were prepared, you know, if I did. They weren't, if I had changed my mind, they wouldn't have, you know, tried to say, oh, remember, didn't you want to be a doctor? And they would they would never have, have done anything like that. But I think my mother was a little surprised that I, I just never got around to changing my mind. So, and I, I really do have to admit that I can't imagine doing anything else. I I. I know other people do other, you know, are in other kinds of professions and they like it and and all that. And at some level, I just I just don't quite understand how anyone can do anything but what I do. And I guess I mainly take that as a sign that I am in exactly the right uh, the right career, the right setting. I'm doing exactly what I want to do, which is surprisingly uncommon, actually. Oh, of course, of course, did. Um... So, that, so did you have uh, mentors or you know influences as you grew up? Is there is there anybody in your in your family in medicine at all? Or I'm I'm just kind of curious on a little bit more of the the background. I don't. Of it, uh, not really. I mean, yes, there are you know certainly you know in any good Jewish family certainly there are relatives who are doctors, but no one I had had constant you know any any significant contact with. I, I think looking back, it's it's really just my parents were like you know of course anything you want to do of course you can do it there was there was never there was never any doubt that the which to look back on it i guess means that the encouragement was so pervasive as to be implicit it's well of course you can do whatever you want to do which is actually pretty cool (laughs) Um, and uh, i actually uh heard you in another interview uh uh, as as all of us family docs has uh as we go through medical school we we try to uh, get convinced to go other ways uh have hearing phrases like oh you're too smart to go into family medicine or you you should really you know you should really pick something else but what kind of uh what 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 kind of uh, ribbings did you get uh, when you were in med school had a geriatrics professor who said to me, what are you going into? First day of the rotation, what are you going into? I said, family practice. And very nicely, very earnestly, he said, I'd like the chance to talk you out of it. And I smiled and said, don't bother. <laughs> I did just, you know, it, it was, then again, um, I have to admit, though, in that era and in that time and place, uh, Medical, you know, women's medical, or, or there were still about 60% women in that medical school, which was at the time by far the greatest proportion of, of women. And it, it was so, so it was the kind of place where, where primary care wasn't going to necessarily be as devalued <clears throat> as perhaps in a more highly, you know, quote unquote academic kind of a place. So it was, it wasn't quite as bad as it could have been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, yeah, it's 
I also, one of the things, too, if, if there are any medical students listening, one of the things I specifically looked for in a residency program was a program where there were no other residents because I feared being a, a sort of a second-class citizen in a hospital where there were, you know, other residents to, to fight over cases. I was afraid of getting the leavings. So instead, there was a community hospital, just the one residency program, and we basically had the run of the place, which was great. Yeah, exactly. And I, I went to a program like that um, where we just kind of ruled the hospital and we did everything. We saw the good cases. We talked, took care of our ICU patients. Um, we did all of our delivery, and, and we uh, had a, a great relationship with all of our specialists um, in the hospital. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it was. I learned a lot. Um, we, you know, obviously we we went to. Um, you know, some outside hospitals for some other rotations. But, uh, um, but you know, when, when we were on call for our hospital, we, we did it all. So I, I'm definitely with you, and I definitely understand what you're talking about. It, the, the learning was, was so much more not being, you know, third or fourth intern or resident in line. Very much so. On the other hand, um, so I started out solo family practice, and I did rather, I mean, I did quite well for the first 10 years or so. It's mm -hmm. it's a little freaky to, to actually come out and say, I, I've been doing this for 20 years. But I, I yeah, have, yeah. Let's, I've been doing um, it let, for let, 20 let, years. Let, let, let's, let's back up a little bit. So so, okay. so you, finished off, you finished off of your residency um, and because uh, you had twins and then, and then finished, you had another child I, too? Yeah, I finished. I finished five months late. I took. I ended up taking off five months in the middle of my second year uh, because I had twins, and so I didn't finish until the end of November of what would have been the, the third year. And at that time, I was, I think, okay, count. I was three or four months pregnant with my next kid, my my last kid. So um, I actually found a job working with a, a pair of, of women doctors in a, a nearby suburb. And after about two months, um, they shocked the hell out of me by calling me in and saying, thanks, you can go now. I was like, huh? Wow. And the way one of them put it was basically, we love you, we just don't want to marry you. Wow. On oh. the other hand... Yeah. Their their practice was closed to new patients, and they had no problem at all with me setting up in town. And you know they would they would send patients to me. So I, at the time when they first said, "Okay, go away," uh, I was like seven months pregnant, and I thought, "Okay, what am I going to do?" And I said, "Okay, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to have this baby." So I, I had some time to think about what good, I wanted good, good to do. Good priority there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. First, first I was going to have a baby. And then I was going to have twins out. at home. Yeah, with, with two-year-old twins at home. So wow. um had the baby. And essentially, I'm not quite sure why I decided to, to go out on my own. Um, it's not, it wasn't so much the, the thought process as the – it was sort of – this sounds really weird to put it this way, but it was actually the easiest thing to do. Um, because the alternative was interviewing, calling around, sending out resumes. It, I mean, I, I had tried that. No one called back. It was, it was a different era 20 years ago. But uh, 
So it actually ended up just being easier to hang out my shingle. I, I sat down with medical supply catalogs and basically closed my eyes and sort of recreated an exam room from my residency in the supply closet and, you know, sort of ticked off all the things I would need and, and counted out how much money I would need and um, started, you know, making projections. And it was it was all total guesswork, but um, I walked, I started going around to banks looking for a loan. And I really wasn't asking for all that much money because I did have the advantage of being married to someone who was, in fact, able to support me. So if I didn't bring, you know, start bringing home money right away, it wasn't really the end of the world. But um, so I go off into banks with the baby. The twins are off in daycare. The baby's in the stroller. And I look for all the world, like a new mother, asking to open a savings account for my baby in the stroller here. And instead what I'm saying is, hi, I'm a family doctor, and I'd like to look for a loan to start a practice. And they kind of looked at me funny. And the last place I went, obviously, the this one lady kind of looked me up and down and said, you don't have three years of tax returns with you, do you? And I said, well, I have one year of tax returns and the first two years projections. And she goes, oh, uh, let me let you talk to my manager. So I end up talking to this very nice lady who ends up holding the baby while I fill out the paperwork. Get out. That didn't happen. It totally did. Wow. And and so I end up with, with a line of credit, and uh, which I paid off in relatively quickly. And like I say, the first 10 years were great, just, you know, growth, growth, growth. And then it kind of stalled. Uh, I think it was sort of the, the peak and then the crash of the whole managed care thing. Um, what also didn't help, about that point in time, um, maybe 12, 12 years ago thereabouts, uh, kind of ended up in the middle of a divorce Ooh. that I didn't see coming. So things got a little crazy at the office. Um, the about After about five years or so of dating hell, um, I got so frustrated. I remember thinking at one point, you know, the only way I'm going to find a nice guy is if some nice lady kicks a bucket. And about three months <laughs> after she did, I met him. Wow. <laughs> so I actually, actually, I actually met this guy online. Ah. And and we ended up actually, you know, we end. I I'd been I'd been doing a lot of dating, a lot of it on the internet, and so I I had it I had it down pat. I could I can I can suss you out in in five minutes, you know email for a for a day or two or whatever go to the phones the rule i taught myself is nothing is real until you meet face to face so um this guy when he we go to the phone fairly quickly and the thing i had discovered about people who were widowed is um you know are you really ready to move on so he was very he, in that very first phone conversation he was very straightforward about Oh yes, she was sick for a long time, and uh, we talked about it. And she wanted me to move on with my life, and so forth and so on. And then he said something. He said she even made me a list of who I should marry, and another one of who I shouldn't. Well, as soon as he said that, I started laughing, and in a way, I haven't stopped because 
my parents had that same conversation. Wow. My mother said that to my father uh, as she was dying of breast cancer, and uh, my father, um, I mean, he actually did remarry within about a year, and, and he has actually been very happily, he and Molly have been very happily married now for 22 years. So you know how lots of people are married for, well, lots of people are married for 25 years, right? And right. Plenty, plenty of people, uh, you know, can celebrate their 50th anniversary, right? Well, right. In, in, just, in just another two and a half years, God willing, my father will have been able to cele- will celebrate his second 25th anniversary. <laughs> okay. Which is not something that happens every day, but it turns out, I mean, once we did meet, it's it, it was it was just it was just comfort, just friendship and it was just really nice from the very beginning. And it turns out there are a lot of parallels between me and my husband and my father and my stepmother. So, um it's just been there's been no looking back. So the good news is I'm once again married to someone who can support me in the manner to which I very much enjoy having become accustomed, despite the fact that the practice has been totally tanking. Um, each year it's been getting a little worse, losing ground every year, but that's nothing compared to this year. Mike, I don't know if you've seen this, but has this year just totally crashed for you? Oh well, yeah, yeah. I mean, not just the last. Well, yeah, like the last twelve months. Yeah, I mean, like the last couple of years, two years. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's. No, I'm it's, talking about the last two months. For some last reason. Two, two months. Two months. Uh, yeah, 2010 has just. At any rate, it's. I mean, the pro. The only. The only. My only thing is, there's nothing I can do. I mean, any any kind of action that I take, to improve the financial condition, will detract from my for lack of a better way of putting it, my professional contentment. I am like 100% happy. I love what I'm doing, and I love the way I'm doing it. So any change is going to be, you know, is going to take away from that. So obviously I don't want to take away from that. That's, that's the fact that I enjoy what I'm doing so much is really what's keeping me holding on. It's, it's, it's like, the economy is in a game playing a game of chicken with me. The insurance companies, you know, how low can you go? How much can we deny until you just say the heck with it? And I've got a couple of potential strategies, but you know, one of them of course that I advocate, if we all did this all at once, if if all of us primary care physicians all together yeah. stopped taking yeah, all happen. insurances. Right. And right. all went cash only. Um, right. That would actually solve the problem. That would solve a lot of problems. Um, people don't think it would, but it really would, which is why no one has the courage to do it altogether. But one by one, I think we're being driven to that point. And as I said, going back, uh, I opened the practice when the baby was five months old. Uh, I actually stuck a, a crib in the storage room where he napped. And uh, that kid is now a junior in college. Wow. Huh. Yeah, hmm. he'll, be, he'll be 21 on May 1st. And, mm-hmm. yeah, so um, actually I only have about another two more years after this year, and then I'm done paying for college, 
which actually wow. frees me up to uh, to take some chances with uh, maybe ditching some insurances and experimenting with some uh, different approaches to uh, managing the office. But right now, inertia holds sway. Mm. Uh, yeah, Ramon is in the chat room now. He's asking about his uh, a career choice. <laughs> be going into medicine. <laughs> That's you know probably something? kind of a rhetorical. No, the the real the real answer to that, I actually I wrote a response to that actually in the early days of my blog. There's this other guy my my, my response to is it worth it? And you know something? The answer is yes. Yes, yes, yes. Watching the faces of not even not even watching a baby being born, which of course really is a peak human experience, but sitting in the nursery afterward doing the paperwork, um, they they roll the the bassinets up against the the wall where the window is, so the family can come on the outside and and watch and come and see the babies. I'd watch the families, and I wouldn't even be looking at the babies. I'd be looking at the families, not even the the mother and the father, but but the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles, I mean, you know, the other people, they would, they'd come along and they'd find their baby. And watching their faces as they're seeing this, this new human that's part of them, it just moves me to tears just thinking about it. It's so moving. And, and, that's, just, and that's just the slightest. That's just the, the least piece of the absolute honor and wonder that is what we do. So anyone who wants to do it, I mean, you know, to go on and on about, oh, it's so terrible and you can't make any money anymore, that's really missing the point. There, like I said, I can't, imagine, I can't imagine doing anything else, and some part of me can't imagine, can't really deeply understand anyone else wanting to do anything else. It's just absolutely anyone, anyone with the passion that really wants to go into medicine, do it. Just do it. So what what is what is the scope of your practice? I mean, do you, I mean, are you the you know full service hospital? You still do OB, do GYN in your office, kids, uh, geriatrics. I mean, is it is it is it what it is? Um, what I've got is a fairly. Uh, I've got. I try to do the full scope of office practice. Uh, a lot of a lot of what we family practitioners do sort of nationwide is very very regional for example even though i wished i could continue doing obstetrics when i left residency the the actual both the malpractice situation and the fact that in order to get hospital privileges to do deliveries um you can't find enough family doctors to cover for you and the obstetricians won't so it it becomes it, you, you realistically you can't family doctors can't do obstetrics where I am now I know places in the Midwest for instance I know there are other places in the country where that's very very different but the the microclimate that is uh, most of the East Coast I mean there are microclimates within uh, cities and, and suburbs and, and areas and stuff but um, it's not financially viable for family doctors to do obstetrics on the East Coast, so I don't. Up until about 10 years ago, I did go into the hospital, but what started happening was uh, first they, uh, 
they started insisting that I get a consult every time I admitted someone to the intensive care unit. And and then they just kept, you know, insisting on more and more consults. And the the problem was it was as if they were saying, well, you're you're not really good enough to do inpatient medicine. And what I was thinking was, but but you guys are doing inpatient medicine, and then you know you finish taking care of the patient, and then you tell them to come back to your office for outpatient care. So what I did was I switched hospital affiliations to a different hospital that was just starting up with a hospitalist program because the way I looked at it. Uh, you have, I mean, a hospitalist is essentially saying, okay, I take care of patients in the hospital, but not out of the hospital. So that I kind of, that kind of felt like validation of my skill set. So what I tell patients nowadays when they say, well, you know, where are you on staff? I tell them the name of the hospital where I'm, you know, on staff, and I do I do air quotes um, because I say it's it's just a a paperwork requirement for insurance contracting, my line is this. My job is keeping you out of the hospital. If you need to be in the hospital, it's not me that you need. It's the surgeon. It's the, if you need, you need the procedure. It's not me that you need if you have to be in the hospital. So it, it took some education of your, of your patients to you know, say, hey, you'll see me here, but if you need to be admitted, you'll see somebody else. But when you get this, come back here. Mm-hmm. Except that the point is, before you get admitted, it's, you know, you're calling me, and I'm actually a fair amount of the time, it's me seeing you in the office saying, yep, you've got appendicitis. Let me call the surgeon, and he'll come in and take your appendix out. Um, it's it's more along those lines. Um, our guest is at uh, Lucy Hornstein, uh, who uh, we'll get to her book and her blog, but this has been a fascinating discussion, a little bit about family medicine, because it's because I, I talk to very little family medicine doctors outside of my little scope here, so this has been a, a fascinating discussion. Um, uh, author of the book, uh, Declarations uh, of a Dinosaur, 10 Laws I've Learned as a Family Doctor, and also the uh, blog, Musings of a Dinosaur, and you can get there by going to dinosaurmusings.com blogspot.com uh, and yeah let's kind of shift gears here to the uh, to the blog there so um, so have you always been a writer and and how did you find blogs do, do you remember the first blog that you started reading before jumping in yeah actually um, what happened very specifically what happened uh, was about six years ago when the the finances started getting shaky I swear this is my actual thought thought process. I said to myself, I know. I'll write a blockbuster best-selling novel, make a million dollars, and then I can keep doing what I'm doing and not worry about the money. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> so, I, 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 I came up with an idea for a novel, a blockbuster best-selling novel, and which, just to, to as a spoiler alert, I fully intend to write, and it's actually half done now. But, there was, there was, it was a process. So came up with an idea, wrote um, three chapters that I don't think I've ever read something that sucks quite as badly as those three wow. chapters. But uh, <laughs> then a patient, a patient came in, and I, I, I told her about this, and she told me that she's been writing for a while, and she told me about an online writer's community that she was part of that was starting up uh, a two-year course on writing a novel. And once a week, there was a, a lesson 
to read at the at the on this group and uh, exercises to do and all you had to bring was this seed of an idea and so each week for the first year um they started out you know talking about characters and how to build them and plotting and how to create a a, a plot and world building and each each week there was uh, an exercise for you know working on your own novel and the second year was more individualized there was still something to read every week but you know writing the novel and then it even went through how to query which is sending letters to finding out about literary agents and sending letters to agents describing your book and all the way up to to having a novel published so at the end of the first two years i had finished my first novel and it really really sucked <laughs> it was it was awful although the 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 actual problem with it the way i put it is there wasn't enough there there it it didn't have quite enough plot it had it had interesting characters and evocative writing but not quite enough plot you know there there wasn't enough there there so mm-hmm. in the course of of you know being on this writing on this you know writing community they introduced me uh to this really crazy thing i guess you could call it a, a game it sounds like a contest but it's not cuz you're only competing with yourself it's and i'm not making this up you're going to think i am but i'm really not it's called national novel writing month and oh yeah nanorimo yeah you know, exactly know about nanorimo yeah nanorimo so, good old nanorimo so uh, i it was actually you're probably familiar with the history but it was actually started by a group of guys in san francisco who thought they'd have better luck getting dates if they could say they were novelists i did not hear that before that's interesting yep yep chris Beatty, that was that was how they started and the thing has grown exponentially. I mean, the people that, that participate every year. But the goal is to write 50,000 words in 30 days. And it, it, the whole idea is quantity is better than quality. Um, the, 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 it's understood that most of what you write is going to be pretty bad. But the, the real advantage to it is, uh, is putting away what's called the inner editor. Like you write a sentence and then you keep revising it over and over and you never get to the rest of the book. So with NaNoWriMo, you don't have time to do that. So you shut off the inner editor and you just write and and tons of crap comes out, but but some interestingly good stuff comes out too. So actually for three years in a row, I did NaNoWriMo. So in the course of all of this, I'm trying to remember when, I guess it was, so I got into the, the, the chat rooms and the, the whole NaNoWriMo community and stuff. And somewhere along the line, online writing and stuff, I found blogs, found some medical blogs. Yours was one of the first ones I found. Um, Dr. Wow, Charles. Sorry about that. Yeah, Dr. Charles was in his first incarnation. He has since taken a break and has oh, recently yeah. come, he's recently come back too, which is fabulous. But at the time... There, it didn't seem like there were all that many of us, and I kind of figured, oh, cool, I can, I can jump in with this. So I did, and I, I also kind of thought, oh, cool, this will be, uh, you know, once I have, once I have the novel out, this will be a place I can, you know, something I can work with that. Now, the other thing I did from the very first post, um, not quite sure why I did it, but I started blogging completely gender neutral. 
Um, every yeah, we're, we're thinking of that. That's uh, that, that's something that is curious to me. What uh, what, what well, was why I was thinking? that important to you? Yeah, what, what, why was that important to you? Well, okay, actually, it was in part it was for fun, but the other thing is, okay, through all this, remember there's there's assorted other novels. Now, um, there was a there was a blogger who is no longer blogging. Who um, I won't mention the name because he probably doesn't want me to, but um, suffice it to say, he's the one that introduced me to the whole um, the whole world of the anti-vaccine people uh, nice. by by that whole that whole scene. So that became the idea for the novel that I'm now working on that really will be the blockbuster bestseller. Um, but the, the the point of my of the novel is you have to there's a twist to it at the end. So as I'm writing, I have to be able as 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 you're reading it, you have to be you have to draw conclusions. You have to make assumptions as you're reading it that turn out to be wrong. Think about the movie The Sixth Sense. Yes. So point is I have to I have to be able to write ambiguously. I have to be able to write in a way that you'll read it and assume I'm saying one thing, but I haven't when you go back and find out I mean something completely different, you have to be able to go back and say, Oh yeah, it never really said that. So okay. in that sense, um writing gender neutral um became kind of practice and a game. And I, I got, I, I got a tremendous kick out of people assuming I was a guy. Um, although, if you stop to think about it, no man would bother trying to be gender neutral. That would only be a woman trying not to, you know, present as a woman. But whatever. Uh, I don't know. I, I've read a lot of stuff out there. So, but I do admit that I, that I thought you were, you were male when I was reading your stuff. I, I fell into that, so I was mm-hmm. guilty of that assumption as well. Well, at any rate, that was, I, I, I did that for fun. Um, because, I mean, yes, I was anonymous. I, never, I was never going to get in trouble for being anonymous because I never, I knew I really wasn't. For instance, um, my my family read the blog from the very beginning. My kids read the blog from the beginning, so you know they know who I was, and I wasn't. I was never going to say anything that was going to embarrass anyone. Well, except my father, who's embarrassed by some of my uh, four-letter verbiage. But um, it, it was, and and people, I, I was very open too. If anyone emailed me and or, you know, or tr- if anyone emailed me and started talking to me as if I was a guy, I would actually immediately email back and say, "By the way, I am a woman," and you know, all of that. But my standard line was, "I hope you'll agree that keeping that secret is more fun than spilling it." So, oh no, I'm with you on that. I'm definitely with you on that. I mean, yeah. yeah so yeah. so yeah, there was, I was there too. Yeah. Well, the the whole. The whole trick, the only time people get in trouble when they're, okay, you can be anonymous, and you know something, I'll be really honest with you, Mike, you, your sense of, you know, oh, protect my anonymity, protect my anonymity, hide behind it, um, I don't want to say got kind of a little bit annoying, but the point is there are really only two reasons that anyone would actually be moved to try and go and out 
someone who chooses to blog anonymously. Um, and and that is if if they're just truly vicious or if the blogger is really annoying. So if you want to stay anonymous, don't be annoying. But the, Sorry, the I, name... I, 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 are you saying I was getting annoying? Because I, I admit I was, I was starting to annoy myself a little bit, actually. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. But you know what? You know, okay, because here's what here's here's what I was yelling at the screen as I was reading you. Nobody cares. It's like, oh wow. no, someone, someone. Well, you know, someone might figure out who I am. You know, the internet's a really big place. There's a lot of people out there, and. One of the things when you're if you're anonymous, it's really easy to start thinking that everybody cares about that as much as you do. And it's it's kind of an ego blow to realize no one really cares. Uh, on the yeah. other hand, you know, it, it it it's it's sort of a get over yourself, dude. Fine, you're anonymous, you know, or not. And and what happens is with when people are are too, you know, too seemingly protective of their anonymity, because there is no such thing, because it's so easy to pierce, all you're doing is goading people uh, to say, oh, for crying out loud, anyone can find out who you are. See, boom, this is who you are. Right. Whereas, you know, if, if whereas no one, no one would want to do that to me because, I mean, if they did, I would say, yeah, your point. It's like there's, it's no fun annoying someone, and it's sort of like, it's like, don't look at me, I'm naked. Well, as soon as you say that, it's like, don't out me, I'm anonymous. It's the same basic thing. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely uh, I, I agree with you, and it was, it was kind of part of my uh, progression as well, because I, I think our blog started right around the same time. Mine was uh, August 2006. I think you were already out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you were already uh, there. In I, I think it was just a couple months. Yeah, I, I, okay. yeah. Okay. I started. I started in June, I think, two thousand six. So okay. I was just. I. I would. I would just barely there. Okay. Uh, so, but yeah, but, but my progression yeah. was there. It kind of going through that, and then. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had my moment where like, oh yeah, nobody really cares <laughs> anyway. But wasn't so, that liberating? What's What's the big deal? So. There you go. <laughs> well, at any rate, so. Um, but the thing is, yeah, behind this, so so the thing about being anonymous is it was a game. It was fun. I knew I, I mean, people only get in trouble with anonymity if they're trying to take it seriously. Okay? And right. which I never did. So uh, behind that, that, that anonymous voice, I, I could be... I could be not I could be a little more bombastic than I really am. I could I could, you know, yell and scream and and say things that I really didn't that and sound like I felt really strongly about stuff that I really didn't care all that much about. Um so there's a certain freedom of, with that, of course. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's that's what happened or or that was the the source of the laws of the dinosaur. I mean, how grandiose can you get? You know, who am I to lay down the law? So but I could, so I did. So I started out with, as you know, the first law of the dinosaur is the art of medicine consists of amusing the patient while nature takes its course. Yes, I mean that's, uh, <laughs> that, that that is that is that is so true. Um, it, it just it is. And Those of us in medicine know it. Those of us not in medicine look at us funny, but it's still totally true. 
but, um, yeah. And then the second law here is it's impossible to make an addict patient feel better. That is like, that's so true. Yeah, they're all true. Actually, I, I have to admit I'm proudest of the third one because most of them are sort of borrowed or, you know, stolen is such an ugly word. Shall we say adapted? Um, but the third uh, law, um, the sure. third law I made up all by myself because it's, it's, it's so emblematic of the experience I have in my office almost every single day. The third law of the dinosaur is the urgency of the test is inversely proportional to the IQ of the insurance preauthorization clerk. Yeah, see, that's I'm with you there. I mean, I'm with you on all of these. So, like, <laughs> yeah, that, that exactly. is definitely true. <laughs> well, at any rate, so I, I set down the laws of the dinosaur. So, uh, let's see. So, 2006 through seven, uh, I guess, coming up into 2008. So. Um, so, so how did those how, how did those come about? They just you know they were just like you know you you wrote a post and said you know that that's that's uh, this well, is a law I, I, this I is a new law yeah yeah so I guess actually, we, should, we should go back a little bit so how how did you pick the name of the blog? We should go into that a little bit. Oh well, uh, it's it's all from it's all in the tagline. It says solo family practice. I may be going the way of the dinosaur, but I'm not dead yet. Since I'm a huge Monty Python fan. And, you know, it, it was it, calling myself a dinosaur. That's what patients would always say. Wow, you're all by yourself. You're a dinosaur. No one does that anymore. So, you know, other people had given me the moniker. And it was a fun persona. You know, I could, I could rant. I could rage. Uh, you know, and the, the image of a, a raging dinosaur, you know, rending flesh and not tolerating fools gladly and all that stuff. It was, it was just kind <laughs> of a, it was a fun image. Um, and then there, there were there were more than and then you ended up having well, more than ten laws that you had to cut it back. I I got up I got up to twelve laws, and so so I'm so here I am you know merrily along I'm blogging now at the same time that I'm blogging and practicing and you know living a life and all that um, I've also I'm also still working on this novel okay and so I'm still like reading the the publishing blogs and the writing blogs and stuff so I, I know how the whole process works. Oh, and the really cool thing is one of my blog readers was actually also a, a writer and a publisher um, in California, which is a strange planet. But um, so anyway, all of a sudden, I think it was February of 2008, out of the blue, I get an email. Get an email uh, from a guy who is an editor at a publisher in New York. And basically he says to me, I've been reading your blog, so that kind of, you know, the implication is I like the way you write, because one of yeah. my other blog posts that I had, that's actually on the sidebar, is one of my favorites, is what I call Dino's, Dinosaur's Blogging Rules, um, because basically blogging is just writing. So Dino's Blogging Rules are, first rule is write well, second rule is say something, and the third rule is mix it up. So, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, and and that that the sidebar links back to that particular post. Um, so you know, I, I I consider myself a writer because all this blogging is is also writing. I mean, I actually produced a couple of I think I I've just looked I've got eight hundred and fifty some posts by now, and 
you know, there are some that I've immortalized on the sidebar, but down toward the bottom, about three and a half years ago, when I dropped my last child off at college, I actually dropped him off wow. at the same college at the same college that I went to. So, you know, I I was having you know flashbacks and deja vu of because I was there was exactly thirty years between it. So, you know, thirty years almost to the day here I am dropping my last kid off at the college I went to, and I I wrote this piece about that. And it's called 30 Years Then and Now. And I, I still think it's some of the best writing I've ever done. Although at the time, since I was still anonymous, one of the comments that still cracks me up was, your boys are so lucky to have a dad like you. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, dude, no one has a dad like me by definition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, so at any rate, so, I've, so I'm, I'm still writing. I'm still considering myself a writer. So, I've got this guy sending me, so, you know, I, I've been reading your blog. I think the laws of the dinosaur would make an interesting structure for a book. Do you want to write it? So here I am being invited to write a book. Um, I had never written nonfiction. I, I, I had just, you know, I've written novels. So, but I mean, are you kidding? Hell, write a book and get paid for it? Hell yes. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. Because, so a couple more emails go back and forth. And finally, he sends me an email with an actual offer. You know, okay, we'll pay you this much and, you know, all, all of the, the details. So I now know enough about publishing to know that even though I have this offer, I still need an agent to, to close the deal, you know, to negotiate it further. And there's, I know that there's enough that I don't know and that I still need an agent for. So, but I also now have the opportunity to write an email to basically pick an agent that I want and write an email with a subject line that says, have an offer, need an agent. Because since I already have the offer, it's like the, the, the heavy lifting, the, the uncertainty part for the agent. The agent's job is to find things that they like, but liking it isn't enough. They also have to be able to sell it. Except right. in this case, it's already sold. So Exactly. Yeah, so basically I'm now in a position to to get, you know, I've got this sort of an in. And what this California lady did, she actually, I mean, one of, if not the most, kick-ass New York agents is a woman named Janet Reed. It's like she's, she's just like the, the, she's like a Hall of Fame. I mean, you talk New York agents – couple of names roll off your tongue janet reed is like one of the first ones there's a do you, do you ever read the comment the, the comic bose cafe life no, no well it's it's about it's just this it's a comic and there's this guy who's a writer and there was a, a a comic once where the one writer is saying to another it's like oh my god i got this letter uh she says she absolutely hates it the writing is terrible it's old it's awful and the other guy says, who's it from, Janet Reed? And the first guy says, no, my mother. <laughs> oh, boy. But, huh. but the point is, you can just plug the name Janet Reed in, and everyone, you know, you hear Janet Reed, you think, kick-ass New York agent. And, you know, to cut to the chase, Janet Reed's my agent. That's awesome. It's <laughs> that is, unbelievable. That is I so mean, cool. 
I, I basically I basically ended up writing her a, a query letter that basically said, you know, I've been invited to write this book, but I also write novels, and I really, you know, I I will need representation. So it's it's just it's kind of freaky to me that oh my God, I have an agent. So it's like it's like this huge hurdle. It, I feel like I just like j- got jumped to the front of the line. Actually, I just got a I just got a I've been trading emails with a a doctor who has written a memoir and is trying to get it published. Who actually found me through her blog or through her website. And um, one of the things he says to me is, you know, I'm happy if you want to give me some advice. Since you having navigated the stormy seas. Of publication, and I emailed him back. I said, I, I haven't exactly sailed the stormy seas. I, I feel like I was given a ride in a chartered jet. <laughs> so something I'm curious about is so 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 the the writing process then. So did you just take you know your blog post and scrunch it into the book, or like what what was your process no, of writing the book? As a matter of fact, how, how, how no. long, how long did it take is, you to write? The book the is thing? all new material. Um, the wow. book actually took well. It's funny. The original laws of the dinosaur, some of them were a little too, uh, they really wouldn't fly with the publisher. For instance, one of them that did not make it into the final cut was, I mean, it makes it no less true, but uh, fertility is inversely proportional to intelligence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's true, but it, it was a little too, uh, a little too politically incorrect. So, right. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the other thing was, what the book ended up being was each chapter basically takes one of those laws and expands on it. So there, there were and, and and explains you know sort of explains it and goes through it. For for instance, the chapter chapter two about you know it's impossible to make an asymptomatic patient feel better. So what do you do? You know you have someone who comes in and they feel perfectly fine. You know but their blood pressure is 180 over 110 and their LDL cholesterol is 208, you know, they feel perfectly fine. So how do you, what do you do? And the answer is uh, you make them afraid. <laughs> right. You, you tell them and you have to describe in, in as much detail as you can exactly what a heart attack feels like, exactly what it's like to have a stroke. And you get them terrified and hopefully they'll take their blood pressure medicine and their cholesterol medicine and, not have that happen. Wow. Hmm. So, so, each, each chapter, uh, so how, how long did it take you to, to, to put it together then? Well, Just, uh, I guess it took me maybe, well, it, here's the thing, though. It, it took me maybe six months or so to write it, like the first draft. Okay. Um, and then it got sent off to the editor. The, the problem is the deadline was like right around the first of the year, and it turns out that publishing right. totally shuts down over Christmas. So oh. no one no one looked at it for a while, and by the time he looked at it, or or by the time someone looked at it, and I looked at it again, I read it and I said, "Oh my God, this sucks." So I basically rewrote it. Um, I mean, all the editor said at first was, "Well, why don't you put all the stories at the beginning of the chapter, and then all the rest of the?" Because there was all kinds of other stuff in it. Well, okay, when I when I sat down to do that, I'm like, there aren't enough stories in here. So a kind of a, a, breaking, a breakthrough, an epiphany that, that let the words flow a little bit better was, 
you know, I don't have to actually remember a specific patient for a story. I can actually make stuff up because no one will know. Although the really funny thing is I started, I, I did that. For instance, there's a chap, chapter 9, which is poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I use that yeah, every day is, in my office. Yeah, which is all about, <laughs> you know, I need a refill on my medication. Okay, what do you take? Well, don't you know? You're my doctor. Right, right. And, yeah, and, and I need yet, it, like, tomorrow because I'm going out of town. Oh, exactly. Really? You know, and, and so, I mean, all of those, all of those things. So, but I realized I can just sort of make them up and, like, apocryphally, except that the really funny thing is now, like, last week, I listen to my staff on the phone, and I'm like, my jaw drops, and I go and I grab a copy of the book, and I flip it up, and I'm like, look, 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 it's right here. I wrote it. I wrote that. So <laughs> they, the, the book continues to happen. It's it's kind of spooky. But I, I so I, I rewrote it, and suffice it to say, it totally does not suck. So everyone, please, go ahead. Go buy it. Go read it. It does not suck. It's wonderful. <laughs> I mean, um, there's, so, yeah. No, no, go ahead. Well, the chapter on half of what's taught in medical school is wrong, but no one knows which half. Started out with yeah. this unbelievably boring discourse about the history of medical education. You know, about the the, the various sects, the allopaths and the homeopaths and the osteopaths and this, that, and the other. So what I ended up doing is I ended up rewriting that entire chapter as dialogue. Hmm. Okay. It, 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 that, that, that whole thing on the history, that, that, that bit on the history of medical education, I broke it up into in sections, put it in quotes, and it became a med school graduation speech. Interesting. Except, except, huh. that, except that I interspersed it with, with kibitzing, like comments from the peanut gallery, like students. For instance, you know, the, the guy is, you know, medicine is full of false starts and dead ends. And and the the, guy, the student goes as opposed to his speeches, which are full of dead starts and false ends. <laughs> wow! And then, oh. and then when the guy's going on about you know whatever what education you got or treatment you got depended entirely on whose disciple you went to, like which sect they were part of. And at that point, the kibitzer goes, "So let me get this straight. Back then, it was all sect education." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, if you're just joining us, uh, our guest on the phone here is a Dutchie Lucy Hornstein, the author, family doctor, I should say family doctor, author, and blogger. Her book is called uh, Declarations of a Dinosaur, Ten Laws I've Learned as a Family Doctor. Her blog is uh, Musings of a Dinosaur, dinosaurmusings.blogspot.com. Uh, Before we go on, I want to give a big shout-out to everybody in my chat room here. We have A.P. Jonas. We have Captain A. Topic, checking in, checking in from... Uh, Australia, uh, good Great Friday man. morning to you. We we have uh, Scan Man from India checking in, who's also Friday morning, and uh, he previously mentioned Javilani from uh, Great Britain. We also have Enrico. We have a couple of guests. Medblog Addict is in the uh, in the house, and also Ramona and uh, our new friend here. Uh, San, uh, uh, I'm going to say this wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, San. Yeah, S-A-N-Z-M-A-J-D has been, has been welcome to the chat room. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, so truly an international show. So uh, great, great crowd here uh, tonight. Cool. Um, so, uh, so let's fast forward here a little bit. So, so August 2009, your book comes out. So at that point, you, that are, point, you no I longer write. are 
No, you're no longer going to nod on this. So I t- write take at me that, to, at that yeah, point, to, to, take I write the a blog post. Yeah, go ahead. At that point, I write a blog post that I had actually been planning for a while. I write a blog post titled, What Do Anonymity and Virginity Have in Common? And the answer is, <laughs> where the answer is, you can only lose, it, lose them once, so make it count. Okay. And I, yeah, so I wrote that, and then I, I, that, the rest of, the, po- of the, the blog post was basically introducing the book. And a day or two after that, I wrote another post titled, Oh, yeah, I'm a woman, where I admitted <laughs> I was, in fact, a member of the booby brigade and not of the penile persuasion. And mm-hmm. basically pointing out that, you know, what's the difference? Uh, you know, the, 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 the topics are the same, the, the made no difference. So full of comments along the lines of either, boy, did you have me fooled, or I knew it all the time, or who cares? <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> and, and from there, um, it's actually e- a little easier now because um, before – I would invite patients to read the blog, but I'd have to say, you know, just just so you know, I'm anonymous and I'm, you know, gender neutral, so, you know, if you try not to out me. Much easier now that I'm, I just go, well, yep, here's the blog, here's the, have fun. Um, I also converted my Facebook page. I originally, I originally signed up uh, basically so I could see pictures that my kids posted. Um, I'm not very active on Facebook at all. Uh, you know, it's it's sort of that's that's my kids' venue, but uh, at least they're into when they're into sports, and my daughter puts her artwork up there, so it's it's fun to go to go watching that. But but part of the deal is I don't write on their walls and I don't comment on their pictures. Um, right. You know, let let them have their their space. But uh, originally, when I was still anonymous, I, I put myself up as the dog. Which a lot of adults on Facebook, basically sure. a lot of a lot of adult profile pictures are in fact their pets. So right. once I came out once I came out on the blog, I, I changed the Facebook page back. So I'm I'm all me and I'm all out there. So what was that? Was that exciting writing that blog post, or was it really just anticlimactic and you? Not at all. It was great. You're like. <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. It's it's it. Well, you know, because it was such a great line, frankly. It's like, oh goody, I finally get to I finally get to use this line. No, it was great. Uh so so now now that you're out there, so has that influenced your blog writing as far as are you as snarky as you were when you first started your blog? You know something? I actually have to admit I guess I'm totally not. Um there were some earlier blog posts that uh well, I you know, I try to be snarky but there was a time when I was a whole lot more foul-mouthed, and I, I guess I've—I guess I have mellowed somewhat. But um, th- there are some other bloggers. Um, I don't know if you know Cranky Professor, who writes uh, yeah. Cranky Epistles. Do you do you know that blog? I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah, um, that woman actually. She actually lives near. I mean, she's local to me. And in the fullness of time, she's actually become a friend, like, in person. Um, so that woman has elevated the epithet to an art form. <laughs> the, the, it's, it's just, 
she just goes off the, the, the strings of stuff that come off of her fingers. I mean, I can't even emulate her. I just, I just read it with, it's just in awe. It's just amazing. And there was a time when I could once at least pretend to try to keep up with her. And, and nowadays, I find myself not so much. In all honesty, though, recently at least, um, the office has gotten, I mean, I'm finding that I don't have as much time for blogging. I'm not quite sure why, but my frequency has is, is dropped off to maybe twice a week. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I have lists of, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of blog posts. Um, I do blog about patients, but only with their permission. And it, it's funny, there's, there, there are certain things. For instance, one of the things on my list of posts to write, there's a, a man in his 40s having a lot of trouble at work with focusing and stuff and, you know, came down with the diagnosis of adult ADD and got him stabilized on Ritalin where, you know, as you know, fabulous results. He did wonderfully. And what he told me at his last checkup is, you know, he, he'd noticed that his son was exactly like him, having having problems in school, and because of his experience, because of the positive experience he had had, and he, he actually came out, he said to me, and because of the way I had handled it, because he says to me, because of the way you handled it, what you said to me, and all of this, I we took him, I'm not quite sure why they're still taking him to another doctor, but took him to his doctor and got him on medication, and he, he's gone from being a C student to being an A student and loving it. So, you know, I, I, I've, I feel like I've benefited multiple generations from that. I'm sure mm-hmm. you've seen that, too. Oh, so, yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's, it's do, really do, do cool. Do you have any... Uh... Do you have any tips on writing about uh, patients? I've heard uh, you know, a lot of people say, you know, switch genders or make things really, really vague or make it a combination of two or four or five different uh, powers that you've had. Uh, is, is that of kind of above. your experience? You All of the above, although I, I really, partly from my experience of, of having been anonymous and, okay, to be totally honest, and pretending to be a guy. I mean, I didn't really because I, I was, you know, carefully gender neutral, but... As a practical matter, I was I was pretending to be a man. Um, I really do find that once you swap out the gender, everything else about the patient, all the assumptions you bring, you know, you you, you bring to to how you deal with people, they all come into play, and you can't possibly recognize. No one can recognize the patient. Hmm. Okay. It's 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 rather an amazingly complete transformation. Into, into true anonymity. I mean, if the definition of, of getting or the, the, the line of getting into trouble with identifying patients in a blog is if the patients can identify themselves. Right, right. And uh, so, once so, you, so uh, I'm sorry. Once you swap out gender, it's, it's amazing. They're like, that sounds like me, but that can't possibly be. And you switch around a couple of other details, and, you know, and to a certain extent, you make stuff up, which is. Remember, I'm a novelist. That's where it started. <laughs> um, so, so now that you're out and uh, through some of your uh, like your old posts, have you deleted any of them? I'm just nope. curious. Nope. Nope. Because what's the point? I mean, anything is everything is always available. It's it's always going to be found. It's always findable. And again, you know something. 
to, to, to go back and, and, you know, censor myself or, or change other things and all of that, um, I don't think anyone cares enough. Right, right. That's true. Uh, well, one of the things <laughs> I've heard that you say uh, to be a good blog writer is, uh, and I guess to be a good book writer too, is, is to put yourself out there. What do you mean by that? Um, I was just, I just wrote, that was just the exchange I had with a guy just today. Um, okay, let me tell you the story I told the guy. About 10 years ago, I wrote an article for Medical Economics, and it was about a baby I had taken care of in my internship who had died uh, at home of hypoplastic left heart. Um, okay. Okay? So I, I had written this article, and I gave it to – I asked a patient of mine who was an English professor to critique it for me. And his critique, it was wonderful. It was like two single-space typed pages. And the essence of it was something's missing. I mean, most of it went on to say, you know, maybe it's, it's uh, you know, tension with your attendings or the uncertainty of training, being a new doctor, not knowing what to do and all that. Um, but what I had purposely not put into the article because it, was, it felt way too personal and therefore unprofessional and it was certainly way too painful what I didn't include in the article was that this happened just a few weeks before my mother died. Oh. And, and, in fact, the baby was born on a Friday, and that weekend, while the kid had been transferred down to the children's hospital and the diagnosis was made and everything, I, was actually, I had actually gone down to see my mother with for what I was pretty sure and what turned out to be the last time. So um, the, the kid, it turned out parents were Jehovah's Witnesses, so the, the, the plan ended up being take the baby home, and part of the discharge planning was what to do when the baby died. And we went through a couple of iterations, you know, bring them to the ER, and then the ER said, well, they, if the kid is seizing and agonal, we have to code them and all that. So finally the plan was when the baby dies, call me, and I'll come out to your house and pronounce the baby there, which okay. the kid was about, I think it happened on day eight, and... I went out there, and you know it was like 5:30 in the afternoon, and I found out that in between the time they had started coming to see me in OB clinic uh, and the time the baby was born, they had actually moved, so it was really rather a drive for them. So I'm now, you know, drive out to their house. They're in this little efficiency apartment, this one room. They didn't even have a phone. This is all 1986, just to kind of give you, you know, place and time. They they didn't have okay. a phone. The nearest phone booth was a quarter mile up the road. So, you know, the the discharge planning, you know, fell to me. It says, well, what do we do? And the answer is, call the funeral home. They'll come and pick up the baby. So um, the, the father goes out to make the call, and the mother and I are just sitting there together. And she's holding the baby, and we're stroking the baby, and we're talking. And I found myself okay. I mean, it's like, oh, my God. This is the worst, you know, the, the, the worst possible thing in the world. You know, a, a baby has died, and yet it was, it was okay. I, I was able, she was okay, it, it, was, it was okay. And the thought came to me that, wow, I, I guess if I can survive this, I, 
I guess I, I'll be okay when my mother dies too. I mean, it was that same kind of a, so that when my mother did die, I had that sort of sense of, you can get through this, it's not the end. And it, it but the point is, leaving that part out of the article showed. So I rewrote the article with all of that. I mean, I, 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 I pulled no punches. I, I described exactly what it felt like to sit in that room, the way the sun came in, you know, the, the setting sun. It was May, so it's, it's mid-spring, 5.30, 6 o'clock. It's still light. Um, as it happened, uh, the, the husband comes back and says, well, they say the hearse is out, so it'll be another two hours. And what we ended up deciding to do was drive to the funeral home. So they drove. I followed them. Went, got to the funeral home, and and my attending had told me to tell them to bring the death certificate to the office, and I'd sign it there. But we walk into the funeral home, and the it was really interesting because the funeral directors, you you could tell that I mean they seemed kind of shaken up. It's like clearly uh, children weren't what they did every day. So they escorted us into the office and. They were they were stunned that I was there. Oh my God, this is a doctor! Oh, come in, sit down. So, yeah, they had the a certificate there. You know, here, sign it. I sat down. I remember the the, the chair. It was this high backed maroon leather, and he handed he hands me his gold pen, and I I fill in the the you know hypoplastic left heart and leaving all the rest of the stuff for them to fill out. And, you know, I'm I'm sitting there as they're talking about, you know, well, have you given your baby a name and what do you want? And, you know, we, we don't, when they decide, you know, money was tight, they said, look, please don't let that, you know, be part of your consideration. They said, no, we really want her cremated. And he said, well, in that case, I won't charge you anything for, you know, preparing and the service and all that. I mean, they said, there are, you know, please don't let that. There are cemeteries that donate space. But... I mean, just sitting through, so the point is the article had all of that all laid out there. Um, that's, what, that's what makes for compelling writing, is, is putting yourself out there, even when it's painful, even when it makes you vulnerable. Um, one of the things I'm kind of proud of is several of my posts, I mean, a lot of medical bloggers only write about their triumphs, you know, how, how wonderful they are. And... I've actually written posts about mistakes that I've made and and diagnoses that I've missed. Uh, there were a pair of uh, two separate times I, I put up I put them up as you know clinical puzzles. You know, one was a, a lady with with pain, abdominal pain, and it turned out to have been a, a duodenal ulcer. You know, not wow. not unusual, and and I missed it. So you know, to be able to put myself out there and show and not just say, you know, I'm not perfect. I mean, everyone pays lip service to, oh, everyone makes mistakes, and yes, of course, I've made mistakes, but they don't blog them in detail, and, you know, I do, or I have, partly because, I mean, that that's what it means by putting yourself out there, I think. No, I would definitely agree with you. It's, it's, it's uh, it's, it's taking a little bit of a risk. It's sharing a little bit more of yourself than mm-hmm. what you're comfortable with. It's it's pushing your zone. Uh, I, I read too many blogs that are just too safe. Uh, they're just 
you know, really, and if they're really safe, they're really boring to me. Um, (laughs) In fact, uh, I wrote a post today, I wrote a post today where I basically blast a whole new specialty as being completely unnecessary. Uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was going to ask you about that. It was an interesting, interesting post today. Um, uh-huh. uh, the, the, the title is, uh, uh, for people who may not get it, uh, it's from uh, uh, today, Thursday, March 18, uh, Palliative Care and Unnecessary Specialty. Uh, and I would presume this is things that have been kind of uh, brewing in your mind for a while and then... Very much so. And and I guess that that shoots off to another question. Um, So when you write blog posts, are you a type of person, or maybe you do both, you probably have a lot that are kind of in draft mode for a while until you craft them and then post them, or is it just kind of a sit-down, one-take, whatever you're feeling, and then you hit post and you're done? Um, Yes, but I, I I don't leave them in draft mode on the computer for very long, no. Um, I have um, actually my, my latest toy. I just got myself an iPod Touch uh, at the end of last year. And on the note function, I have a, a sticky note that says, you know, blog posts I want to write. So I have, I have topics. I have them kind of half written out in my head. Um, have you ever seen the movie Amadeus? Yes. About Mozart? Yeah, well, uh, when someone asks Mozart, you know, you know, haven't you finished it yet? And he says, it's all written. It's all written up here in my head. All that's left is the scribbling. <laughs> so, you know, there are, there are several blog posts that, are, that, that, are, that percolate in my head. And then actually the longer they spend percolating, um, by the time I actually I think them out, then I, I sit down, write them, uh, proofread them, and so at that point, it's pretty much hit publish, and they're they're posted. Hmm. Um, okay. Well, we have, uh, we have uh, uh, left here. Um, I, I, I guess in our in our closing moments here. So, um, so at, at, how's the how's the book going, and how is it to do readings of the book? That's something I wanted to ask you too. Oh, that's great fun. Uh, I've been going around to to bookstores. Um, the, the, the key for, for book marketing is you really have to do it yourself. So I've, I've called on people. I've gone to, back down to where I grew up and basically told my father, get all your friends out. Um, I did a couple around here. Um, have you spoken to Rogue Medic, the blogger? I'm familiar with Rogue Medic, yeah. Yeah, well, Rogue Medic in the flesh showed up at my first book reading. Wow. So, I mean, on his way from, you know, on his on his commute. So he stopped by. I'm like, cool, come on, come party. Um, <laughs> it, it's great fun. I, I have absolutely no idea uh, where this came from or how long I've, I've had. I have absolutely no stage fright whatsoever. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's something that's, uh, that's fascinating to me, and, and that's that, that's kind of on my, uh, I don't know, bucket list or whatever, to yeah. have the patience to write a book. <laughs> it, it's it's in well, you know, like Mozart. It's in my head. I just have to. I just have to do it. <laughs> yeah, you just have to sit down and do it. And you know something, Mike? I'll be honest with you. November is a great time to do it because guess what? No one says a NaNoWriMo 50,000 words has to really be a novel. 
no one will know. I know. All, all, all my NaNoWriMo friends have been, uh, they've been bugging me every year to it, and <laughs> I've been, I've been chickening out to do it. So you can, yeah. you, you can add, add to their uh, encouragement or uh, uh, manipulating or whatever. I'm going to do it one of these days. And, uh, well, but, but yeah, you know, writing, I know people have already been wanting me to do it. No, writing a, writing a book, you've probably heard this line, writing a book is a one-day experience. Everyone's going to do it one day. <laughs> uh, so, so, so you're writing. Uh, so you're working on a novel, uh, I am and that's on exciting. A um, and so, what, what do you see for the for the future of the blog? Because I mean, you have a great following uh, on your blog. I always enjoy uh, reading your comments as much as reading your posts. <laughs> I do. I have really cool commenters. Of course, um, the, the most reliable commenters actually happen to be my immediate family. Um, I have one of my sisters lives in the state of Maryland. So um, when she signs her blog posts or when she signs her comments with her town, um, it looks like it's the town slash comma MD. <laughs> so it, it looks like it's a doctor writing, but it's not. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, I can rely on my sister to comment. Um, whenever on the blog, whenever I talk about, quote, this crotchety old guy in his 80s who I've known for years, that, that's my okay. code for my, that's code, that's my father. Yeah, so is that, is that the key to, uh, uh talking about, uh, family members on, on the blog is giving them code names? Oh, very much so. Very much so. Um, my older son is the jock. My younger son, when I first started the blog, he was the nestling since I had the empty nest, or emptying nest, so he, he was the only one left in the nest, so he was the nestling. And then he went off to college and started teaching himself to bake. And one of his early recipes that he sent me that I put up on the blog involved um, a banana chocolate cake. And as he, he's using his fork, slicing bananas into the batter ninja style. So uh, he, he's now... So he has now become the ninja baker, and uh, my my daughter's my daughter is Dino daughter, a little unoriginal, and my stepdaughter who lives in Denver is now Denver daughter. But uh, yeah, this crotchety old guy. I mean, because this crotchety old guy in his 80s who I've known for years. That's who my father is. He's crotchety. He's old. He's in his 80s, and I've known him for years. So the key. <laughs> see, see, the key is to make statements that are true, even though they may right. be misleading. I mean, for instance, right. I've been in social situations where I don't want to admit that I'm a doctor. So the, the trick is to make a statement that's completely true. Um, so people ask me, well, what do you do? And I've been known to answer, I work in a doctor's office. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's a true statement. And they tried pressing right. me one time. They said, but, well, well, what do you do? What do you do for the doctor? What do you do in the office? I said, oh, pretty much everything, <laughs> which, which is all I'm, I'm not above filing and faxing. <laughs> I um, want to keep the computer running. So, you know, yeah, the, as to what the future holds in terms of, of practice, I've thought of micro-practice. I have only two staffers. Both of them are older than I. Uh, one will probably retire at the end of this year. Um, I may go cash only and get rid of all insurances. Um, what else? I may, uh, from 
the, the footnote to today's post about palliative care. I may, if I give up uh, private practice of primary care, I may recertify in, in palliative medicine and go out and be a, a palliative care hospice doc because if you think about it, that makes a whole lot of sense because if you follow the demographics, the biggest group uh, demographic group is always the baby boomers who are now aging. So what are they all going to start doing? They're going to start dying. I don't know. I, I, I've had a couple of my, my colleagues that graduated in my class, mm -hmm. left private practice, became medical directors of a hospice. So exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's possible. So mm -hmm. who knows? But I, I, I definitely I can't, see, I can't see ever giving up the blog just because it's fun. It's right. fun. It's easy. I, I don't think I will ever, quote, monetize it because I just think that's just sleazy. It's just Yeah, me. I can't. I can't. Just, I, I, I've never me. been able to do it. Yeah. I, I, I get I mean, you know, you get offers uh, every day. I get offers every day and I just I don't I can't do it. I I don't want to do it. No. I I don't want to monetize my blog. I don't want to uh change my mortgage and I don't want to enlarge my penis. Just, you know, don't email me with those things. <laughs> And I don't, uh, want, that, that, I don't want Vicodin and Percocet and Celebrex without a prescription. Just, you know, don't email me with those things. That is probably a good place to leave it there. So <laughs> that's a great finish. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Dr. Lucy Hornstein, thank you so much for uh, for joining me. I, we have to bring you back. This is, this is just, it's been delightful to talk with you. Um, it has. And, uh, thank you so much. Uh, um, this, is, this is funny. Even just to just to just talk with another family doc about just stuff, you know, and yeah. stuff that we love. Being a family yeah. doc and talking about blogging and social media, um, it's been such a delight for you to be on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Okay. <laughs> all right, friends. Uh, so that, that's all I have. I have uh, 60 seconds here left. So I just want to thank again my, uh, my guest, Dr. Lucy Hornstein. Get her book. Get her book, Declarations of a Dinosaur, Ten Laws I've Learned as a Family Doctor. Go to Amazon right now. Get a copy of it. Go also go to her blog, uh, Musings of a Dinosaur, dinosaurmusings.blogspot.com. And with 40 seconds left, there will be an after show here um, because there's so many people in the chat room. So I'll put in the, the link in the chat room again, dranonymous.tv. Um, right after this show is done, in about 20 minutes, I will switch over to my Ustream. You'll be able to chat a lot more over there. So uh, I will see everybody on the other side there. Great interview tonight. I'll be talking about it during the after show. Go to uh, DrAnonymous.tv right now, and I'll be there in a few minutes. Thanks a lot to our guest, and I will talk to all of you very soon. Go to DrAnonymous.com. Check me out as well. Good night, everybody. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.